0: DuckDuckGo went through some controversy, Twitter launched a Tor Onion site, Linux has a new vulnerability, Russia created its own TLS certs, and a lot more. Welcome to Surveillance Support 79, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week. I'm Henry from TechLore, Nathan isn't here, he's never here, and he sucks, so make sure to leave a message at the tone, he will not check it, because he's never here. We will be back together next week, uh, pretty much as normal, so things should be back to normal very shortly. Thanks for working with us. Our promo spot this week, again, we wanted to outline that surveillance support. All these videos are moving over to their new channel momentarily. The new YouTube channel is already live, so get subscribed right away, because starting in just a couple weeks, You won't see these videos on this channel anymore, so make sure to go over there. PeerTube and Odyssey will be coming soon. Odyssey does have some requirements we need to hit first, so people on Odyssey, um, I encourage you to use any front ends for YouTube that you enjoy or just join the PeerTube once we get that established. Also, I know some people are like, oh, there's money issues or something like that. It's no, it's like, Nathan outlined all the good reasons for it. We have very legitimate reasons. We have a big separation in SR-only viewers versus our normal viewers. Um, We wanna be able to have more upload slots on the Techler channel. It makes things easier for us logistically in the background, because now we can just have a single Patreon and a single revenue source that we can easily split 50-50. So it just makes everything a little bit easier for you guys, for us. So there's really no reason for us not to do it. Um, And we are taking a short-term hit by doing this. I think it's very important to mention that, like Techler will be losing one of its like weekly sources of content. So make sure you're subscribed over on Surveillance Support um, because we're taking a short-term hit from this and the more people we get over there, the better it will be for everyone. So definitely make sure to subscribe um, because that's gonna be where everything starts happening soon. Let's go ahead and start with the highlight story, Duck Duck Go. So this is kind of a lot to unpack here. We're gonna start with just the story and then we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more. So the DuckDuckGo CEO sent out a tweet that they quote at DuckDuckGo are rolling out search updates that downrank sites associated with Russian disinformation. This is a response to the current Ukraine-Russian situation. This had an immediate backlash because some people are now saying DuckDuckGo is no longer unbiased and that this is direct censorship of search results. Um, This actually went trending on Twitter, like all of Twitter, which is pretty huge. A software engineer for the company did come forward and cleared up, quote, everyone gets the same results. The results are not based on anything related to your personal information. But I don't think this is what people are upset about, and we'll talk about this soon. The update to this story is DuckDuckGo has doubled down on their decision with the following official statement, quote, the primary utility of a search engine is to provide access to accurate information. Disinformation sites that deliberately put out false information to intentionally mislead people directly cuts against that utility. Current examples are Russian state-sponsored media sites like RT and Sputnik. It's also important to note that downranking is different from censorship. We're simply using the fact that these sites are engaging in active disinformation campaigns as a ranking signal that the content they produce is of lower quality, just like there are signals for spammy sites and other lower quality content. In addition to this approach, for newsworthy topics, we're also continuing to highlight reputable news coverage and reliable quote instant answers at the top of our search results where they are seen and clicked the most. We're also in the process of thinking about other types of interventions. I feel like their official stance was never actually really given outside of that small tweet from their CEO. So that is their official stance, whether you agree with it or not. The only other thing that's not really covered much is that DuckDuckGo has announced they're removing Yandex results, which is kind of the Russian Google. So they are officially going to be removing Yandex from their search results. For those who don't know, DuckDuckGo actually pretty much relies on being Yahoo and Yandex for their results. They don't actually generate their own uh, search index. They rely on all these other tools, which we'll talk about as well very shortly. So there's actually a lot to unpack here. I have a lot of things to say on this story. First, I'd like to say that privacy and politics are not and have never necessarily been the same thing. I think Brave and Mozilla are great examples of companies that you can disagree with their politics on, but their politics do not necessarily reflect their privacy and security practices. I'm not saying it it never does, but generally speaking, those are not inherently the same thing. So that's just something I wanna outline. For the record, I think it's 100% valid for people to pick and choose what services they use. Um, just as I think it is valid for these companies to have their own political leanings, so you can choose a service based on their political tendencies. Now, where I think things get interesting is freedom of speech and choice go both ways. So that's kind of my next point. Nothing about this story makes DuckDuckGo any less private or secure, but it does mean that for some users who are against any kind of content filtering, no matter the reason, you may be unhappy with this decision, which again I think is very valid. I personally do not mind the decision on a personal level but I can see how it can be a slippery slope and I don't blame people for being upset one bit. For the more technical side of this, so this is my second point, what's really being ignored here is the fact that DuckDuckGo is a search engine, which means a few things. First, the whole purpose of a search engine, and they kind of alluded to this, is to filter out content, otherwise the search results are garbage. So I think it's important to clear up, there is no search engine that's truly unbiased all of them will have some layer of bias or else you wouldn't be using the service in the first place. Second, DuckDuckGo is now getting bit in the ass for using their unbiased search marketing to feed on people's frustrations with Google filtering. So for those who don't know, DuckDuckGo has previously stated in the past that they don't filter content and they don't have biased results like Google does, which is inherently incorrect. Um, And they actually gain a large following by leaning on this marketing. So of course, when they now do it, I. Don't know why they expected anything but a negative reaction. Third, DuckDuckGo, in my opinion, is given way too much credit for what it really is, which is a Bing, Yahoo, Yandex-based search engine that proxies people's searches more privately. So the whole idea that DuckDuckGo is ever a truly unbiased search engine, to me, is kind of ridiculous, given DuckDuckGo is pretty much directly reliant on big tech for their search results. Fourth, and finally... And it's on a similar note, there are some rumors that Bing actually was the main search engine that began filtering the Russian disinformation, and DuckDuckGo is obviously going to be impacted by those results. This was just a rumor, but even if it's false, it's worth considering how DuckDuckGo is ultimately strongly reliant on other search engines. So to summarize my stance here, and also like what maybe you can make of this, I do think DuckDuckGo messed up but predominantly on its marketing decision to brand themselves as some magical, unbiased alternative to Google. I think there are a lot of valid stances on this. Honestly, like I'm mixed on it myself, and the beautiful thing is that there's so many great search engine options nowadays. Search.me, Brave Search, DuckDuckGo, StartPage, Mojik, Quant. I mean, the list just keeps going on. So if you're angry about this situation go try out some of these other search engines and switch to them. Otherwise, rest assured that this whole ordeal doesn't necessarily impact your privacy and security of DuckDuckGo. And for the record, I've never been happy with DuckDuckGo results myself, so this isn't something that I find particularly different. Like I have preferences with search results, and this is kind of what this revolves around. It's the search results, not necessarily the privacy and security. A lot to unpack. I wish Nathan was here this week because I'm sure he'd have something good to add there, but those are kind of my thoughts and I tried to keep that as fair as possible. So um, there's the situation and let's go ahead and move into the data breaches. Ada or Adafruit, I don't know how to pronounce it, has disclosed a data breach from an ex-employee's GitHub repo. So they're a producer of open source hardware components since around 2005. The company designs, manufactures, and sells Sells electronic products, tools, and accessories. This data leak that occurred was due to publicly viewable GitHub repositories. They didn't have the right settings on this GitHub repo. This could have allowed unauthorized access to information about their certain users, which includes names, email addresses, shipping and billing addresses, order details, and order placement statuses via payment processors or PayPal. They actually originally didn't email the affected people because they didn't think it was a big deal until the story was published and then they decided to alert people. Takeaway, if you manage GitHub repos, don't keep the private ones public, but also just uh, be wary of who you're sharing your information with because, you know, we cover these data breaches every week and it's always something silly like this. Next up, the e-commerce giant Mercado Libre confirms a source code data breach. So this is an Argentinian e-commerce giant, and they have confirmed unauthorized access to a part of its source code earlier this week. The threat actors also accessed around 300,000 of its users' data. This attack was done by Lapsus$, dollar sign. I'm not sure, if I assume it's just Lapsus. Uh, they are active on Telegram, and they're actually taunting companies with user data and source code that they've been uh, polling their community to see which company's information they should leak next. Um, They're actually the same people behind the NVIDIA breach that we'll talk about later in this uh, SR as well. Takeaway, no company is safe. Think twice before not only doing business with certain companies, but also with what information to hand over with the companies that you choose to do business with. Companies, next category. Android 13 will not support DNS over HTTPS as previously planned. So Android has had DNS over TLS since Android 9, and Android 13 was supposed to get DNS over HTTPS, which is generally regarded to be a step up for user privacy and security. But the new feature has been pulled. It's unfortunate news, and we hope that we'll get it added again. I'm also not sure on the status if this is something that can be added after the fact, so maybe we'll see it on custom ROMs. I'm just unsure of that at the moment. Up next, um, these next two stories are pretty much tied together. We're going to start with the bad news and then the good news. Bad news, major stadiums and venues are adopting facial recognition payments. So one of the world's largest entertainment producers, ASM Global, is embracing facial verification payments at some of its venues. This rollout is part of a partnership between ASM and a provider called Pop ID, And the plan is to leverage this facial recognition at locations like stadiums and theaters worldwide. And the idea here is you just walk into a stadium and you don't have to have a phone or payment information. You literally just walk into the stadium. That's it. It's a seamless experience, which for the record, I think is cool. But again, this comes with a lot of consequences with facial recognition. Uh, It's just not a very perfect technology yet. Lots of researchers have come forward and they talked about the issues, including racial bias, including many other things, like it's not always accurate. And also there's lots of different legal repercussions. And also how do you trust these certain companies with the data? There's just a lot of things. It's a very poorly regulated area. It's just not ready. And it's not the kind of thing that we want to see in uh, such public places yet. Now that's the bad news. The good news. The Red Rocks amphitheater will no longer use Amazon's palm scanning technology. So Amazon announced in September that it was expanding its technology beyond its stores for the first time at Red Rocks and other venues, including sports stadiums. Hundreds of artists, activists, and human rights groups called on them to stop doing this. And you know what? It worked. The CEO said, I'm not sure what the future of this technology is, but at this point, it doesn't involve our venues. So this is a big win Um, It doesn't feel like a big win, but it is a big win, and we hope that more people stand against biometric surveillance technology until there's just more data and research and things that we can use to do this in a very safe way, especially not when it's controlled by one of the most privacy-invasive companies in the world, like Amazon. Next story is really quick. Microsoft, March 2022, Patch Tuesday fixes 71 flaws and three zero days. Just like the title says, if you want to see what the vulnerabilities are, check the show notes. Otherwise, just update your system. Ideally, use automatic updates or check manually at least once a week. At least. Next story. Twitter has launched a Tor website to tackle Russian censorship. So for those who don't know, an Onion site is a website that can only be accessed via Tor. Facebook has had one for a long time and other services like ProPublica, ProtonMail, and many others. Uh, It's generally a technique to help users access these websites despite any geographic restrictions. It's a very safe way to bypass censorship. Twitter has come forward with their own Onion site, which is awesome and I think should really be celebrated. With that celebration though, it's also worth outlining that Twitter still requires a phone number to register and realistically use the service for any decent amount of time before they take some action on your account. So hopefully going forward, we can get Twitter and other services to slowly phase out that phone number requirement, since for a majority of people, a phone number is a person's almost direct identity. In some countries it's illegal to even have a phone number not registered to an individual so yes good step in the right direction i think it's great especially in light of the russia um ukraine situation but uh, going forward we really want to see that phone number drop up next we're going to go back to the, the the sus group lapsus there there it is so malware is now using nvidia's stolen code at signing certificates so like i said earlier Um, NVIDIA confirmed that they suffered a cyber attack that allowed threat actors to steal employee credentials and proprietary data, and that's from that group Lapsus. They're using stolen NVIDIA code signing certificates to sign malware to appear trustworthy and then allow these malicious drivers to be loaded into Windows. A code signing certificate allows a developer to digitally sign executables and drivers so that Windows and other people can verify that they actually own those, those files and that what they're installing is trusted and safe from the company. To increase security in Windows, Microsoft also requires these kernel mode drivers to be code signed before the operating system will load them, and this is all done to keep um, everything as safe as possible. What these attackers are essentially doing is pretending to be NVIDIA to gain these elevated privileges to install malicious things. It's very clever and kind of an unfortunate thing is we're still waiting for a more formal prevention method. So currently, David Weston, who's the director of OS security at Microsoft, tweeted some policies you can adjust in Windows Defender to prevent this. So check out the show notes if you want to take action and be ahead of the game. Otherwise, um, I would just sit tight and wait for updates, as it's likely Microsoft will find some way to patch this on their end so that you can just update something, or maybe it'll just be automatic. Alright, and final company story. The TV network HBO is being sued for sharing subscriber data with Facebook. So HBO Max subscribers Angel McDaniel and Constance Simon filed a class action lawsuit against HBO on Tuesday, alleging the company had violated their privacy by sharing their information with Facebook. According to documents, the suit asserts that HBO hands over customer lists to Facebook, which the social media company then uses to match customers' viewing habits with their Facebook profiles. It alleges that because HBO didn't ask for subscribers' consent to share this data, it violates the Video Privacy Protection Act, the VPPA which is a bill that came into law in 1988. The suit further alleges that HBO partnered with Facebook to retarget Facebook ads to its own subscribers. Um, So this is all very scummy and very behind the scenes. We don't actually see that many situations where it comes out that like companies were like directly actually working together to have this kind of, privacy invasion happening, so I'm very happy to see this because honestly, screw companies who sell out their customers to other companies, especially Facebook. Um, So let's hope they win this class action lawsuit, and I'm sure there's information on how to join, but I did not see it in the article. All right, now we're gonna move over into research, and there's only one article this week, but it's a pretty good one. So attackers have found a way to force Amazon Echoes to hack themselves with self-issued commands. So this is a new working exploit that commandeers Amazon Echo smart speakers and forces them to unlock doors, make phone calls and uh, unauthorized purchases, control furnaces, microwave ovens, and other smart appliances. Really anything that an Echo can do. This attack works by using the device's speaker to issue voice commands. So as long as the speech contains the device wake word, which is usually Alexa or Echo, followed by a permissible command, the Echo will carry out its own command. So researchers from Royal Holloway University in London and Italy's University of Catania Catania, um, have found that when devices require verbal confirmation before executing it, it's trivial to bypass the measure by adding the word yes about six seconds after issuing the command. Attackers can also exploit what the researchers call the, quote, FVV, or Full Voice Vulnerability, which allows Echoes to make self-issued commands without temporarily reducing the device volume. Some quick stats, an attacker can control smart lights with a 93% success rate, successfully buy unwanted items on Amazon 100% of the times, and tamper with a linked calendar with 88% success rate. Complex commands that have to be recognized correctly in their entirety to succeed, such as calling a phone number, have an almost optimal success rate, in this case 73%. Um, it's very cool research, and this is really nothing new to frequent listeners of SR. This is just one more vulnerability on the mountain of issues with many of these smart devices. So as always, we strongly urge holding off on any home IoT devices until the space is more developed and we start seeing more privacy and security precautions being taken, because these things are just terrible. The S in IoT stands for security. And now we're going to move on to Politics. So Utah state senators have passed a new consumer privacy bill governing how citizens' data is processed and held. Sounds great. However, the EFF has come forward asking the governor to veto this bill and put an end to it since it's not strong enough. In fact, the EFF was against a similar Virginia bill not too long ago, and they claim even the Virginia bill is stronger than this one. Pretty much the EFF is trying to prevent a situation where every state gets superficial, weak privacy laws to the point where people think everything is fine. It's kind of just privacy washing. They're trying to make it seem like they're doing something good for privacy when really it's just putting things in place to help enable um, malicious behavior. And so this is a very common tactic in politics in general. It's not specific to the privacy and security world. And it's good to see people like the EFF taking a stance against this. Over in Georgia, the Georgia Senate has passed a bill seeking to regulate social media. So the Georgia Senate voted 33 to 21 on Tuesday to pass a bill that seeks to prohibit social media platforms from removing or censoring content amid an outcry from conservatives that their political views are being discriminated against, even though a similar Texas law has been put on hold by a federal court. So the general response to this from the technology industry is that this they say this measure is illegal because it would unconstitutionally make private companies host speech they don't agree with. They also argue that private owners should be able to do as they please with their own property. Honestly, this is kind of a tricky issue, so I'm going to stay out of it and leave you with just the story. Um, If Nate was here, I'd probably have him uh, take the fall and give his opinion. (laughs) Mostly kidding. Next story, Clearview AI has been fined 20 million euros for collecting Italian's biometric data. So uh, what I just said covers the main story. Uh, This is all done without people's consent, and this is after they collected billions of photos, including many Italians. They fought this tooth and nail, and the CEO put out a response that he's disappointed that these situations are getting in their way to build a safer world. I'm... Paraphrasing, but that's more or less what he says. Um, this isn't anything new. Clearview AI is genuinely a problematic company that is constantly pushing legal barriers in almost every country they're active in. We have covered numerous Clearview AI stories. I'd say probably dozens at this point, and they're just constantly being a problem. This is a company that does not want to value privacy and security practices in any uh, legal jurisdiction that they're taking a part in. So, um, hopefully, that we actually see some more of these effects hitting this company up next ukraine has prepared a potential move of sensitive data to another country so, I, for those who have been living under a rock, uh, Ukraine is currently <laughs> being invaded, so the government is prepping for the potential to move its data and servers abroad if Russia's invading forces push deeper into the country. That's pretty much the story, uh, we put it in here because it's kind of cool to think about stuff like this, Like, and I think it's also a good reminder for just even end users like yourself, you know? Like, what do you do if something happens, if there's a fire, if there's a natural disaster? Do you have contingencies in place yourself to prevent something like this happening? Because even massive governments and countries have to worry about data retention and having backups. So they're not trying to physically move some of their servers to other countries. They're trying to move data over. They have sensitive data just like everyone else does. So it's just something to think about. It's probably a good reminder to think about your data backup. And on a similar note, this is going to be our final political story, and it has to do with Russia. So Russia has created its own TLS certificate authority to bypass sanctions. So TLS certificates help a web browser confirm that a domain belongs to that verified identity and that the exchange of information between the user and the server is encrypted. If you don't want to have to follow anything I just said, this is generally that green lock icon on your browser when you access a safe site, and it's normally on an HTTPS website. Currently, the only web browsers that recognize Russia's new CA as trustworthy are the Russian-based Yandex browser and Atom products, so Russian users are told to use these instead of Chrome, Firefox, Edge, etc. Users of other browsers like Chrome or Firefox can manually add that new Russian uh, root certificate to continue using Russian sites that feature the state-issued certificate. However, this raises a new concern that Russia could abuse their root certificate to perform HTTPS traffic interception and man-in-the-middle attacks. And if this is suspected, the non-Russian browser like Firefox and Chrome may decide to not honor the certificates as valid. This is still unfolding, but it's definitely concerning, and users should proceed with absolute caution if they decide to proceed with using these TLS certs, which for the record, I think you should avoid if you can, given most people seem to be very wary of them. So that's the main takeaway, but I think something else to consider here is that in the digital age, personally, I think that these sanctions and other things only help the big governments in charge to keep their citizens in whatever box they want them to be in, right? I think we see this in lots of countries you have China's big firewall and all it does is really help the people inside of China just be reliant on the Chinese government services they offer them so um, it's just kind of a side effect of these sanctions and things like that and I don't know if this applies to other things but I'm just saying in a digital world um, it seems like it's very hard to shut down a country's infrastructure and all it does is put the citizens to be more reliant on their government so just something to consider, the internet is a very global thing, so it's very hard to shut it down. And I think that in general, it's probably good to keep things open. And that's why we see services like Windscribe that are still keeping their services open to Russian users. With all of that said, we're going to move over into FOSS, free and open source. A new Linux bug has given root access on all major distros, and the exploit was released. So a new Linux vulnerability known as Dirty Pipe allows local users to gain root privileges through publicly accessible exploits. Security researcher Max Kellerman responsibly disclosed this vulnerability and stated that it affects Linux kernel 5.8 and later, even on Android devices. Kellerman released a proof of concept exploit that allows local users to inject their own data into sensitive read-only files, removing restrictions or modifying configurations to provide greater access than they usually would have. Um, an example of this, they illustrated how they could use the exploit to modify the um, etc password file so that the root user doesn't have a password. Once this change is made, the non-privileged user could simply execute the su root command to gain access to the root account. So, um, for those, if this went over your head, pretty much like you need an administrator password to be able to run certain commands, and they were able to modify the file to essentially remove the administrator password and run things as root, which is essentially administrator. It has been fixed in newer versions of the Linux kernel and some ROMs, like I do believe Calix OS has already sent out patches. So takeaway, automatic updates, it's almost always the general takeaway for things like this. I think the other thing to outline here is Linux is not perfect. There have now been numerous high-profile privilege elevation vulnerabilities in just the last year. So don't get cocky because you're on Linux. It is not a foolproof system whatsoever. It um, gives you better privacy out of the box than most other operating systems. That's about it. So keep stay updated. It's open source so we can catch these things a little quicker, but it is not a perfect system and you should still be taking lots of precautions and make sure you're using automatic updates. The next story comes from the Brave browser who has something called Unlinkable Bouncing for more protection against bounce tracking. So Brave is shipping this new feature called Unlinkable Bouncing and this feature protects your privacy by noticing when you're about to visit a privacy harming website. And rather than accessing it as it normally does, it instead routes that visit through a new temporary browser storage. This prevents the site from identifying you by tying your footprint to that of previous sites that you accessed. It also allows the site to authorize function as normal, which is really cool because this all happens behind the scenes. So essentially each visit appears as a unique first time visit, thus anonymizing your digital footprint. This temporary storage is then deleted when you browse away from that suspected website, preventing the site from re-identifying you on future visits. So it even works on the same site over and over if you keep accessing it over and over so it's not just protecting you from other sites. It's very neat, it's just one more thing that uh, Brave does out of the box for their users, which I think is really cool. And they also kind of expand more on their end goal from things like this, and I'm gonna more or less quote their article. So, Unlinkable Bouncing is Brave's first application of a new, powerfully capability they're developing called First Party Ephemeral Storage. This is a set of techniques that allow sites to remember or identify you only for as long as you're on the site. It's similar to, though more powerful, than clearing your browser storage every time you leave a site. So it's essentially like having things in incognito mode all the time, but without any of the drawbacks of having to be in an incognito mode all the time. They say this brings a total shift in the web's default behavior to date, Browsers have assumed users want every site to remember them unless the user takes explicit steps against that remembering. So uh, Brave is working towards forgetfulness by default, which I think is really cool. And it's something I'm a big fan of, not just with like browsers, but with things like social media and messages. Like everyone I message on Signal, I set a four-week timer, so everything is gone in four weeks. Um, I'm a big fan of things by default being forgotten. And if you want to save anything, then you save a certain chat, or you copy and paste something, or you take a screenshot. Um, Personally, I am a big fan of that because it assures privacy by default in a lot of good and healthy ways. So um, those are my thoughts there, and I think it's cool. Doesn't mean Brave is a perfect browser, but it's one more cool thing they're doing. All right, next we have a lot of just like quick things I want to go through in the FOSS world. So uBlock Origin has become the number one add-on on Firefox, beating Adblock Plus, which is awesome because uBlock Origin is much more robust and is more than just an ad blocker. It does many other cool things that we've actually covered in our Firefox hardening guide, which is fantastic. Tutanota now supports UTF on desktop clients, and they're hoping to get support on mobile. Mozilla Firefox 97.0.2 fixes two actively exploited zero-day bugs, uh, which you shouldn't even care about because you should have automatic updates enabled, Right. Tails 4.28 is out, HTTPS only mode in Firefox Focus for Android has been released, so make sure to enable that if you're using Firefox Focus on Android. And finally, WireGuard MultiHop is now available inside of the Molvad VPN application. So MultiHop will give an extra layer of privacy to the, to Molvad users. If you want to enable that, there are instructions on how to do so inside of the show notes. And now we're going to finish out with the misfits. And there's only one story, and honestly, it's, it's fine. So there was another story published not too long ago about how someone tracked their husband. It was a wife tracking her husband and she pretty much went through how she did it and how she was able to stock all his movements and the kind of information she was able to gather by just pretty superficial information. Like companies want you to think, oh, it's just granting your location access. But really like they wanted to outline how thorough this can be and the kind of information you can get from the limited data, right? And so this is kind of an update from the husband's perspective. So the title of the article is My Wife Tracked Me for journalism. And he kind of outlines um, how alarming some of these things were and how um, the, the revelations, like how he could have never guessed that certain things that he might have handed over how he was doing could have revealed certain uh, private aspects of his life. So I think it's a really fun read if you want to kind of see the real world implications of privacy invasion and stalking and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, I didn't want to get too far into the story because it's pretty loaded, but I think it's a really cool story and it deserves a spot in The Misfits. So definitely go check it out. And that was all of our news for this report. So DuckDuckGo went through some controversy that we covered. Twitter has launched a Tor Onion site. Linux has a new vulnerability. Russia created its own TLS certs. And there was a lot more stuff. Again... We don't have promo spots this month because we're trying to get all of you over to that new surveillance support channel. It would help us a ton out. And also you're not going to miss any surveillance supports once you get subscribed. We're really trying to hit at least 5,000 subscribers at this point. Um, And I think we're at, or getting close to 3,000. So let's really like get everyone here on YouTube over to subscribe to that new channel because it's really going to help things out once we transition everything over to that new channel. We want to thank you for listening to the Surveillance Support. We're happy to know you're trying to stay safe out there. And the final thing we want to ask you to do is to share our podcast around. It is mostly spread through word of mouth, and also it's spread through how well these videos perform. So again, subscribe to the new channel so you can help us like start with a bang. Make sure you subscribe on this channel, and definitely give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option for you audio listeners. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us directly do that, so make sure to go ahead and step up and help us out. Thanks again for listening and see you all next week, where we will have Nathan as well.